Hey there. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is put out into the world by Living Water Community Church, located in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I'm Pastor Clark Cothern. If you'd like to know more about Living Water, or if you'd like to drop us a note, or if you've got a question, or if you'd like to have us pray for you, head on over to lw-cc.org. Now, let's join today's podcast in progress. If you were from the South, or if you have people that you know who live in the South, you may have heard this phrase before, but they would say it, well, shut my mouth. And sometimes I have been in a situation where I kind of wished that somebody would have shut my mouth. As I mentioned last week in the first half of this mini-series, two-parter from the book of James about the power of our words and trying to get a handle on our tongue, that small thing that can steer the entire ship or set a forest on fire. And I told you that this week was going to be a little more lighthearted. Last week was kind of James saying, hey, your tongue is deadly and dangerous and it's full of evil. The end. And today, hopefully, it's going to be a little bit more practical in terms of what we can do to start getting a handle on this thing that God has given us to use, hopefully for His glory and His benefit. So today, we're going to look at being quick to listen. That's the first of three things you're going to learn so that we can basically learn the key verse in today's passage that we're looking at. I was very happy, Melanie, to see that you were going to teach the kids some hand motions, and I learned them too, and I especially like this part. (laughs) Uh, Joy turned to me in the middle of that first song and she goes, ooh, it's so great to have the kids with us in the gym this summer because they bring a whole new energy. And I agree. So kids, good for you. So I'm going to teach you some hand motions today too that goes with this verse. And I hadn't planned to do that in conjunction with the song, but hey, sometimes it just works out that way. The first thing, and this is not uh, American Sign Language, this is my own version of it, because I looked at the American Sign Language And uh, if somebody else knows that's what you're saying, it could be great. But since this is just a memory device, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to have you put your arm out in front of you, and I'm going to have you make two little legs with your fingers. And how fast would you go if you're going to be going quickly? Oh, yeah, Joaquin is racing. (laughs) Good for you. You're going to be quick to listen. So do that with me now. Quick to listen. Good for you. Now, what would you do if you're going to go slowly? There you go. He's at a snail's pace now. Very good. Excellent. So we're going to be slow to speak. All right. So the first one is quick to listen, slow to speak. Why am I teaching you this? Well, first of all, it's always easier for me to remember something if I have something physical to do it with. But secondly, when we start getting into some sort of a a stressful situation, and particularly if we're having an argument with somebody, we tend to tighten everything up. And studies have shown that we literally will tighten our fists without even knowing we're doing that because we have that fight or flight instinct that starts to take over. And if we think of something literally and physical to help us pull ourselves out of that tense situation, then if you can think of yourself, now I wouldn't do that in front of somebody if they're actually speaking with you, (laughs) but if your fingers start to move impulsively like that, It's not a bad thing for you to have something physical to do with yourself to keep yourself open to what they're going to be doing, being quick to listen and slow to speak. So we're going to look at that today. 
James chapter 1, my dear brothers and sisters, says James, the brother of Christ, as we mentioned last week, take note of this. Everyone should be, do the hand motions with me now, quick to listen and slow to speak. Good for you. And slow to become angry. We're going to add a third one now. Uh, I'm adding the one that I used back when I was speaking in Phoenix at the Mission Baptista Central. And I had a translator translating into Spanish for me. And I was doing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they got into the fiery furnace, I was saying they heated up the furnace seven times hotter. And King Nebuchadnezzar was so angry. (laughs) And the translator stood back and he looked at me. And he looked at the congregation and he went. (laughs) He got it. So that's going to be slow. You're going to do slow again. That's the same as you did for slow to speak to become angry. That's smoke coming out of your ears, all right? So let's do all three of those to practice. Quick to do what? Yep, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Good for you. That's right. You've just now memorized James 1.19, and that's the key verse. I would not encourage you to check out and go to sleep yet, but if you did, you'd still get the main point today. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why is this so important to James? He tells us. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Think about that. Human anger is usually because I didn't get my way. Or you made me feel less than somehow. You stepped on my ego. God doesn't have an ego. He is right all the time. He doesn't have to worry about that. He's not self-conscious. He doesn't get his feelings hurt. That's a different kind of righteousness. It's okay for God to be angry because he's always angry at the right things. Human anger, because it's tainted with sin, is very often not the right kind of anger. And James says, human anger doesn't produce that kind of righteousness or rightness in relationship to God and others that God desires. And then there's this passage back in Matthew, which I think is another good reason why we should work hard at doing what James is telling us we should do. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. So, if that's true, how would I treat somebody else in a tense conversation if I wanted them to listen and understand me? Well, I would want to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Both parties want the same thing, if you think about it. It's hard for us to think about that because when we're in the heat of a discussion, sometimes our emotions will peg the meter and all we can see is red and it's coming from our own filters, but we both really want the same thing. We both want to be heard and we both want to be understood. I think that's pretty common. True story, I'd shared this several years ago. My son, with a friend of ours, trusted friend, went down into Ohio because uh, he had a friend that was involved in some sort of a competition And my son, Clarky, was there to cheer him on. And they were staying at a hotel, and they had a pool in the hotel, and Clarky was swimming, and he was a bit of a fish. He could go way down to the bottom and hold his breath for ages. And then when he was coming up near the aluminum ladder so he could climb out of the pool, there was a piece of aluminum that was jagged and shouldn't have been that way, and he cut his leg really badly coming up out of that pool. I mean, a long gash in his leg. It was bad. So our friend, who was in charge of our son, called for the manager to see if they could do something about that. 
They handled it in every way that could be wrong. He had been trained not to admit guilt, call the lawyer first, you know, everybody's going to sue everybody. And so he just took a hands-off approach and didn't do a thing, not a thing. She said, well, can you at least give me the number of somebody to call? He says, well, there's an emergency road, just one mile, or emergency clinic right down the road, about one mile. You could take him down there, I suppose. <laughs> oh, she was just, ah, you know, this guy's bleeding like that. So she grabbed some extra towels. She said, could I please at least have some towels so we can stop the bleeding? She got the towels in there. And then she took my son to the urgent care clinic when they had to stitch him up with a whole bunch of stitches on his leg. So after she got back, she told me the story. She had to use her own credit card to pay for the urgent care visit. And so I managed to find out who was in charge of that particular motel. It was uh, a chain, and I got all the way up to the president. And as you can imagine, some people might be a little bit scared when you're saying, I'm calling in regards to, and then you tell them what happened. And I wanted to de-escalate things as much as possible. I said, let me tell you something. From a leader's perspective, I would want somebody to tell me if there's a way I can improve on poor customer service because... Good customer service is everything in a service industry. And he said, yes, that's true. And he's sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I said, I don't want to sue you guys. What I would like is an apology and for this motel chain to pay for the medical costs that my friend had to use for her own credit card. That's all I want. That's all I want out of this. And I would like for you to have learned from it so that the next time this happens to somebody, they have a much better procedure in place so that this doesn't have to happen to somebody else. I was trying to reflect to him, hopefully, some grace along the way. They finally did agree to that, and then they sent me a disclaimer to say, you said that you weren't going to sue us, so sign here that you're not going to sue us. <laughs> Got to talk to the insurance mediator about that. But most of us want that. You can see that in looking at lots of different TV shows where the people say, all I wanted was an apology. I just wanted them to hear me, to understand me, and to say, yes, we were wrong, and we're really sorry. That's what most people want, even in a heated conversation. They just want to be heard, and they want to be understood. Now, here's the thing, and this is something that's hard for us to grasp because of our sinful tendencies, our sinful nature. We might not agree with somebody else, but that doesn't mean we can't try to understand. We can still try to understand where that person's coming from, and we don't have to admit that we agree with them. We can say, okay, let me ask you a couple more questions to see if I can truly understand where you're coming from. And then you can start to discuss where they are and where I am, and hopefully you can share why you believe what you believe so that you can come to some sort of an agreement and maybe move them a little bit closer to where you are on that particular topic. I was doing some active listening practice with some couples doing a marriage conference in the UP a few years ago, and I use this same tool when I'm working with pre-marriage counseling, where we start teaching active listening skills to different people, and I will hand them, if I really have a little piece of tile like flooring, I'll give them the floor so they can say, I have the floor now. <laughs> and so I'll, I'll hand them the floor, and they say, okay, as long as you have the floor, you get to speak. When you're done with your wish list, we have them make a wish list, three things that you wish that you're uh, spouse to be if this is in pre-marriage training or if, it, if they're already married three things that I wish my spouse understood more and would do for me that, that opens up some real good discussions and I would give them that and as soon as that person has finished talking then they hand the floor to their spouse and then they get to actively feed back what they think that other person has been saying 
And what I say is, I just want you to feedback what you've heard. Whether or not you agree with it is secondary. We're not, we're, we're gonna, not gonna solve that yet. All I want is for you to practice feeding back to them so that they can know that they've been clearly heard and understood. That's all we're doing at this point. So it's a three-phase process. And amazingly, some people have a hard time with that. One wife was given the floor and she said, I wish that you could make an effort to come home on time for supper with the family at least two nights a week because your kids really enjoy being around you. It fosters really good conversation and I feel like our family is drawing closer and then she was done, and she handed him the floor. And I said, okay, just feed back to her what you think she has said. Paraphrase it. doesn't have to be word for word. He said, well, what you're saying is that you think I'm a workaholic, that I put my job before you. And, the, and you could tell, you know, his ears were getting red, and his voice was getting a little bit escalated. And I said, eh. <laughs> Time out. No, that's not what I'm asking for. And I used another couple to illustrate what I was looking for. Had them practice it that way. They paraphrased what they were saying, whether they agreed with it or not. I said, see, you're filtering it. You're running it through your own filters. And we're not there yet. We don't want to get there. In fact, we're trying to eliminate the filters so we can just hear each other. He tried it three different times. And each time he started trying to read through his filters and he would say, well, what you're saying is that I'm just a... I said, no, 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 you don't get that yet. So I had to have a little extra session after the session with that particular couple. I think he finally started to catch on what I was asking of him. But in active listening, we can agree to listen to somebody without agreeing to what they're asking us to do necessarily. But we need to show them that we understand, that we've clearly heard them by simply feeding back to them, paraphrasing what they said. Am I hearing you correctly? Did you just say, and then feed it back to them? And if they say, yes, you finally got me, you heard me, then you can start negotiating from there if there's some negotiating that needs to happen. Another thing from James in this passage that he's telling us is we need to practice gentle responses. That particular husband's responses were not very gentle. They were kind of escalating in their tone and they started to elicit the wall that would go up because there's not a lot of communication that's going to happen when somebody starts coming at you the way he was coming at his wife. He says so, uh, it, the Bible says for us in Proverbs 15.1, something that echoes what James is telling us in James 1, a gentle answer deflects anger. One translation says it pushes it away. If you could see somebody that's coming at me try to take a swipe at my face, what's the natural response? I'm going to want to deflect that. And it, the, the word here kind of has that approach that a gentle answer will literally deflect some sort of a harsh word or an anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. How true that is. Another aspect of being quick to listen. When I got to this one as I was studying, I thought, God, really, do you have to? Can I? He says, no, you got to tackle this one too. Practice being corrected. Because I told you last week, sometimes it's just hard to admit that we're wrong. And especially, even when I have asked people to give me feedback, they'll give me the feedback that I asked for, and then my pride gets in the way, and I get all haughty, and I get defensive, and I say, oh, well, <laughs> thanks for that. Who do you think you are to give me? Oh, I ask you to do that. <laughs> we need to practice being corrected, because sometimes if we're in a discussion, it helps for us to have in the back of my mind, oh, just maybe I might not be right on this subject. So as I'm listening, I want to pay attention to the fact that I might need to change something in myself 
Or maybe they're telling me something that I'm going to find out was right all along, and I need to be able to admit that. Otherwise, it's that pride that just blows good conversation out of the water. Another proverb, 1017, this is the Good News Translation. People who listen when they are corrected will live. But those who will not admit that they are wrong are in danger. Yeah, if we can't admit that we're wrong, we are in danger. Why is that? Because we get so prideful that we will not listen to somebody else and we just can't have a fruitful conversation. You've met people like that, haven't you? No fingers pointed, please. Another aspect of being quick to listen is to ask more than you tell. Ask more than you tell. You'll see why this is important in just a second. A fool, Proverbs 18, 12 says, the English Standard Version, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I don't think that I would like to be known as a fool because I'm always expressing my opinion, but I'm not careful to understand from somebody else. So let's pause to practice real quick just to make sure you still remember that. What is the first thing we're supposed to be quick to do? Quick to, yes, listen, slow to, Speak slow to speak. I, I like the slowness in some of you all. That's really good. I mean, some of you are slothful in your speaking. I love that. Slow to speak. And then slow to become angry. That's right. Very good. Just getting back to the key point from James. Now, he says again, and he reiterates, I'm going to reiterate it for you. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The longer you listen... This is a generality. It's generally true. The longer you listen, especially if you're needing to try to mediate some conflict, the more you learn. And therefore, the less angry you become because you're starting to understand where they're coming from so that you can tackle the problem without tackling the personality. What you're there to do is to try to solve the problem. And typically what we do is we make it personal. And we want to take the person out of that and say, okay, what's the problem here? What's keeping us from being able to get at this together? So the more you listen, the more you keep asking more questions so you can understand, the more you learn, and then it makes it easier for you to solve that problem rather than just attacking the person. Now, this should be obvious, and I got this from a pastor, Andy. He's a Charles Stanley's son. He's a pastor of a mega church down in the Atlanta area, and I happened to see this one time, and I, I got so tickled. <laughs> so this is not my own expression, but I loved it. He said, now this is going to be so obvious, but sometimes we have to point out the obvious things to each other because they're the things that are so obvious that we miss them. We've gotten so used to them that they just kind of, you know, we just miss them. But this should be obvious. You ready for this? This is the obvious statement. Everything everyone does makes perfect sense to them. <laughs> but wait, it gets worse. Everything everyone says makes perfect sense to them. It does. To them, it makes perfect sense. We might not think so. We might be listening to them and we'd be thinking, how in the world could they possibly? But everything makes sense to them. And then everything they believe makes perfect sense to them because what's coming out of their mouth is based on what they believe, even if they don't recognize that they believe it. It's a core value. They've embraced that value. So what's coming out of their mouth is based on some sort of belief system. Now, let's look at this, though. If we say, I don't understand why they would do that or say that or believe that. We say that a lot, don't we? I've heard myself say that. I don't understand how anybody could. You know what the main problem with that is? Let me give you a hint. 
I don't understand. <laughs> oh, so whose responsibility is it then for me to understand them better so that I can find out why they say or do or believe that thing? It's my responsibility. Rather than just writing them off, because it's a lot easier to just unfriend them from Facebook and hang out with people who say and do and believe the things exactly the way I do. That's so much easier, isn't it? Rather than engaging in good conversations about things that we might disagree about. That's why we need more of these, or question marks, and fewer of these exclamation marks. The longer you listen, the more you learn, the less angry you become. I think that's a truism. Your desire is to be right at one another, and God's righteousness is about your being right with one another. I really liked that. I stole that from Andy Stanley, too, because I think it's very true. God's righteousness is about your being right with one another. You can read that in Paul's writing, in James' writing. So much of this in the New Testament, they're saying, hey, you know, y'all need to learn how to get along with one another because the unity that you're expressing toward one another is going to be a witness to the world. So we need to learn how to be right with one another rather than just being right at one another. So if you win an argument, what do you win? I mean, is it like a little gift certificate? You get a gift card for Red Robin so you can have a burger and say, hey, I'm going to, I was right. I won the argument. I'm going to have lunch today. You know, somebody said, uh, wait a minute, you won the argument, right? And the guy says, yes. He goes, well, what did your wife think about that? Well, she's not here. She left <laughs> with the kids. But I won the argument. I'm thinking, oh, okay. Yes, sometimes we think winning the argument is what this is all about. And James is saying, no. The thing that we win is God's righteousness being poured out through us so that we can learn to get along with people even if we disagree with them. Jesus didn't come to be right. You notice that? This is where it starts to get theological. Jesus was right. He is right. He is the very definition of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So he is right all the time. God's right. We can't trump him. He's going to be right all the time, but he didn't come to be right. Otherwise, he could have asserted himself in ways that would have been harmful and said, I'm going to wipe you all out because you're not right and I'm right. He had that kind of power. So what did he do? He gave himself up willingly for our sakes. That's what we celebrated this morning in communion. He didn't come to be right. He came for righteousness so that we could be made right. He came to reconcile us to God and to one another. And as ministers of reconciliation, we're supposed to not be just right all the time, even if we're right about God. We're supposed to be reconcilers with God and with one another. Therefore, he says, get rid of all moral filth. Now, when we read that this way, we tend to read this through our culture. And our culture tells us that moral filth means things like looking at things we ought not to look at, touching things we ought not to touch, uh, things that are physical in nature and that have to do with immorality. And when we think of immorality, we think of this one narrow definition of that. James' definition in the earlier languages and in their culture meant the attitude that says we're right all the time. It's about being right or wrong, about goodness and badness. And if we think that we're right all the time, then everything we do must be good, right? That's the attitude that James is trying to get us not to buy into because that's dangerous. If you meet somebody who thinks they're right all the time, they can step all over other people's opinions and feelings and they don't have any remorse about that. 
doesn't bother them in the least. They can be prideful, they can be haughty, they can be hurtful, and yet they can think they're right and they're doing God a favor as they're doing it. That's what the Pharisees were like, and Jesus really came down hard on them. He says, and the evil that is so prevalent. The evil, what's a greater evil than thinking we're doing God a favor, and yet we're embarrassing everything about God? That's pretty evil. That's what happens when black becomes white and white becomes black, and things become so confused that somebody says, but I'm right, and therefore, I don't care what you think. That's the kind of evil that we need to guard against. And humbly, ooh, there's that word, humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. If we can't humble ourselves in a conversation with somebody else long enough to be prayerful in the back of our brains and to say, don't blow this out of the water, be, you need to help me on this. We got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If I can't do that silently, then there's probably a lack of humility in my life. There's probably pride that's getting in the way. He says in Colossians, James doesn't say this, this is Paul. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And how about this one? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. For it, meaning the Word of God, has the power to save your souls, says James. What does it mean to lose your soul? You know what I think it means? I think it means that you can gain everything the world tells you will puff you up and make you feel successful, and you've completely denied everything that God tells you will truly fulfill you. If you buy into what the world says is going to fulfill you, you've lost your soul, because it even says in Matthew 16, 26, what do you benefit? I mean, what is it that you benefit from if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Your soul is eternal. So we ought to be doing everything to line ourselves up with what God says is going to really fulfill us. And so if we're going to be like Christ, that's going to fill us up until we're just overflowing with praise to Him because He's so good to us rather than always trying to be right and to put everybody else down around us. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless, he says. That's James. You can hear his passion coming out in this stuff. Why is that? Because he was a leader of a church. And there was stuff going on in that church. And it probably broke his heart as he started to see people just tearing each other apart. And even thinking they were doing God a favor as they were doing so. So he's saying, oh, come on, guys. Let's be forgiving to one another as Christ forgave us. Let's do all these things in a spirit of unity. Trying to get along with one another instead of being right at one another. So let's practice one more time. We're going to be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to anger. And the next time that we're tempted to start being critical and to ramp up and escalate a conversation that becomes detrimental, if your fingers start moving like that, I've done my job. <laughs> you might want to put them in your pocket so that they won't think that you're doing some sort of sign language. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And I just read something yesterday in an article that said there's soul health of people who can learn to praise things that are praiseworthy more than they criticize. And if all we hear coming out of our own mouths is negativity and criticism, we're going to be soul sick. And I thought, wow, how true that is. I think that's true for all of us. And so I need to repent each time that happens and to say, God, I don't want a sick soul 
I want a soul that's glorifying you. And so I want to start lifting people up and being praiseworthy, saying things that are wholesome, that are good for edification of others and not be critical all the time. Will you join me in practicing that? And you have my permission to hold me accountable. And I'm going to try real hard not to get haughty and prideful if you tell me, Pastor, you remember what you said? I'm going to hopefully be open to the Holy Spirit and say, oh man, you're right. So let's do that for one another and be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let's pray together. Father, boy, sometimes it gets tough as we look at people like James who get so uh, blatant in how they're sharing what we need to do as believers so that Christ can be lifted up to others. And I pray that we'll all learn to become better communicators, not just with each other, but with people where we work, family members, at school, that we'll be the kind of people who would just be known for our winsome personalities because Jesus Christ is at the heart of everything, including having control over this tongue that you've made for us. And I thank you for what you're going to do as a result of our continuing to seek your guidance, even in the way we use our tongues. And I pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.